Hi, Nick here. Now, just before today's podcast, I wanted to take a moment to just say a couple of thank yous. Now, firstly, thank you to you for actually listening to this. When I started this podcast, I started it and it still is a hobby for me, a side project where I can give back to the industry. And it's so good to see people actually listening to it, enjoying it. And genuinely, the messages that I get from people saying they're enjoying the podcast and they're learning from it means so much to me. It's great that I can help share the advice of my guests who have done some phenomenal things with you. I was really excited when it first launched, actually, because I thought nothing would happen. I'd put the first two episodes out. No one would listen and I'd go back to doing something else. And I was shocked that on that first day, it got to number 69 in the iTunes podcast business charts, which for me as just a guy on my own, no big marketing budget, no big brand behind me, I just thought was really cool. Now, I couldn't have done that without some awesome people and people from my network. Now, in today's episode, I talk a lot about the importance of your network, and I couldn't have done it without mine. So I just want to take a moment to thank a few people. All of these people are awesome at what they do. They're all awesome people. If you're looking for someone to hire or you're looking for a company to join, get in touch with any of these people. Highly recommend looking them up. So in no particular order, and I am going to to go through them relatively fast because I want to thank them, but I also know that you want to get onto the content. So just for those people and to say thank you, Julius Atwood at Beringa, Lucille Knight from Clarisis, who was actually the person who got me the interview with Matt. So thank you very much, Lucille. Karina Brown, who's launched her own startup, Grow Happy. Andrew Lynch from Anibas. Peter Killian from MS Amlin. Jess Green at ICAP. Uh, Shara Lyre at EY. Gary Tarplett, who's an independent consultant, which is what today's episode's all about at his own firm, GLA. Jitin Mitra, uh, who's a property investor and independent consultant as well. Francisco Estevez from Nationwide. James Mitra at JBM. And Alex Gurr, finally, at Beringa Partners. Thank you, all of you, for sharing the podcast and pushing it out to your network. I know that that takes time, effort. And thanks to you, I got to number 69. And thanks to all of you listening, it got to number 69. So please keep listening, keep downloading. I'm doing this for you. Tell me what you want and I'll do my best to get it. If there's guests you want, if there's topics you want me to discuss, if you want me to discuss my guests, I'm here for you. Just drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com. Look forward to hearing from you and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hi, and welcome to the Climbing Consulting Podcast with me, your host, Nick Sinnott. As you know, if you've listened to any of these podcasts before, usually I interview leaders from the consulting field to get their strategies, tips, and advice to help you get to the top. Today's slightly different. Today, I'm going to give you some of my own advice, all about how to become an independent consultant. For those of you who've listened to previous episodes or know me professionally or maybe personally, you know that this is what I do. And really, over the last, say, six to 12 months, I've had a lot of questions from friends, uh, previous colleagues, about how they make that jump. There seems to be a point in people's careers where they decide actually maybe they want to take a step out and they want to move from the world of in-house consulting, working in a firm, to doing it themselves. Maybe they don't want to go directly into a business uh, and work in a change function, let's say. They want to go out on their own. And so today I wanted to tell you really all about that, answer a number of questions that friends of mine and colleagues have given me and hopefully give something back to you hopefully this is useful also it's worth saying and thank you to everyone who has given me feedback I've had a number of comments that people want to be able to jump through the podcasts I really like long-form podcasts they're not everyone's cup of tea I won't be changing the format but I want to help those of you who maybe 
only have 20 minutes and want to get the key points. So what I'll be doing in this episode and every episode going forward is including the questions in the show notes. So if you jump to the show notes on your phone, so your iPhone or whatever Android phone you're using, in the show notes, as well as any resources that I recommend, you will find a list of every question with a timestamp so that you can jump straight to that question. I'll be following this format for all of my future guests as well. So if you want to jump straight to a specific piece of advice in today's episode or future episodes, you can do that nice and easily. Hope that helps. Do let me know if it's great. I'll keep doing it. If it doesn't quite hit the mark, also let me know. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com. So let's jump into it. I'm going to cover four areas today for you. I'm going to quickly talk about some of the myths of independent consulting. And these are things that I know have stopped people in the past and I still get asked. I'm going to look at what I think is the the biggest question or biggest theme I get asked, which is how do I know what rate I should be charging in the market? How do I know what's competitive? I'm then going to look at the next piece of the equation. So actually, how do you find a role? And there's a number of different ways to do this. And lastly, I'm just going to give you some tips. So these are things that have helped me. I've learned from others. They've worked well for me. And hopefully they'll work well for you too. So let's get started. So the first myth, and it's one of those ones that is true, but doesn't really matter, is you don't get paid for holiday or time off. Well, the irony is actually... You do, and you get more time off, and you get more holiday. If you view your working year as an independent consultant, as you would if you're in a consulting firm, so you imagine you you run it as you're running your own consulting business, you tend to budget around 200 days of work a year, because other times you might be out hunting for work, you might be on holiday, clients might have shutdowns, so very often at Christmas, for instance, clients will kick all consultants and that includes independence off-site. So you you really only want to forecast your year's revenue on 200 days work. Now what does that mean in holiday? Well actually it means you get more holiday because you get around 10 weeks. I, I can do the maths for you but if you go and put it into a spreadsheet or a calculator on Google you'll quickly see that if you take 200 working days off all of your working days there's about 50 left which leaves you as you guessed with 10 weeks for holiday time off. Now, the other side of that equation is some people say, well, what happens if you get sick? And firstly, I really hope you don't. Secondly, if you do, there is insurance cover you can buy. I have insurance cover for illness, serious illness. So, you know, touch wood, it doesn't. But if the worst was to happen and I you know, couldn't work for six to 12 months, I am covered. The second side of that equation and something that you, you need to think about is as you are going to be working for yourself, you need to make sure you reserve money for that. So I'll come on to that later. But just to start there, you actually get more time off, more holiday. For me personally, it's also given me freedom to pursue other projects. So actually, you don't have to work five days a week. You can be flexible dependent on what you agree with your clients and the project you're working on, or you can take time off. So I know of independent consultants who will take summer off because they want to spend it with their children. These are all things you can do because of that flexibility. The second myth is security. So very often people say, well, I want to make the move, but I, I'd be nervous. I won't have the security. I can't pay my bills. We'll come on to day rate, but at a crude level, your day rate will be roughly double your salary if you're in the middle grades in consulting. It's very different if you're at the senior end. But if you're in the middle grades, it will be roughly double your salary. So if you're doubling your salary, you only need to work six months to make the same as you would in a year. So from a financial perspective, if you work six months and then don't work six months, 
you'll be in exactly the same position if you did a year in-house. The second point that I've highlighted just above is you want to make sure you're saving money up. So when I became an independent consultant, I had a number of people who said, Nick, that's amazing. You can go and buy a Porsche and loads of suits and go on loads of holidays. I know people who do that. Personally, I would much rather live the life I do, build up a nice, comfortable war chest so that if for whatever reason I couldn't work for six to 12 months, it wouldn't actually bother me. And that's, again, that's where you sit on the 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 risk tolerance, if you like. That's whether you're high risk or low risk. I'm actually quite low risk, so I would prefer to build up that war chest. The other positive of doing that is it means you can be much pickier about your roles. So if you know that you don't need a new role for six to 12 months, it means you can turn down roles that really don't fit. Whereas if you are going to run out of money in a month or two, you're more likely to take anything and that could mean you get a lower day rate. It could mean you get a bad project. It could mean you have to travel. And likewise, it could mean that it's bad for your career trajectory because it's not in the area you want to work in. The next myth is it's hard to do. It's hard to become an independent consultant. Well, this one really depends. And I'll talk later on finding roles. The key thing here is a lot of independent consulting, at least from my perspective, comes down to your network. There are a lot of recruiters out there and I'll come on to them as well. But have a look at your network. If there aren't at least two or three, four, five people that you could go and have a conversation with in your network who you would be 80% confident might work with you if they had something, then you need to have a serious look at your network. And actually, you might be better off staying internally, building your network, building your skills instead of going out. And I'll come on to that a bit later. The last myth is it's hard to set up the legal structures, set up a company, hard to run a company. Um, it's not, as long as you've got a good accountant in place who can do all of the, the legal side and accounting side for you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time today on that. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I don't want to be drawn into questions around tax. I'm happy to, to share my views, but I'm not the best placed person to do it. So what I would say on that is speak to your accountant. If you've not got one, happy to recommend mine. Drop me an email, nick at climbingconsulting.com or speak to friends, family, or people who are already independent consultants that you know, trust, and would um, follow their recommendation. Easiest way to do it. But as I say, it's very easy to do. If you want to do it yourself, you can go and set up a company online in 15 minutes and you can do it today. So those are the key myths I just wanted to to bust straight off because those are some of the things that I have heard in the past people have been stopped doing this because of that. So the next question and uh, we'll come on to actually how you find roles but the next question is really how do you pitch yourself? You know how do you know what your day rate is? And there's a number of easy ways to do this. The way you calculate it is very simple. It's 200 days times whatever rates you believe the market will pay for you or the market will pay for you. So very simple sums, 200, let's say your day rate is 500 a day, so your annual revenue is 100,000 a year. Very simple. It's also worth pointing out here that every £50 that your day rate increases by equals £10,000 at the end of the year. So it's very easy when you're negotiating contracts, and we'll come on to this, to get quite blasé about, oh, it's 50 quid, it's 25 quid, I'm, I'm fine with that. You need to remember that a 50 quid equals £10,000. It's a lot of money, and obviously it'll be a lot of money to your client, it'll be a lot of money to you, and just remember that when you're negotiating. It's very easy in the moment to say, oh, it's only 50 quid, 
but keep that in the back of your mind. 50 equals 10,000. And then obviously, if you're trying to understand what a, a particular contract could mean in terms of revenue, you do that equation. So very easy for you to do or just get a spreadsheet up. So how do I how do I figure out my day rate? Well, I'll tell you how I did it and you can you can take it, you know, yourself. There's two ways. Firstly, make contact with recruiters. You know, uh, one of my previous guests, Minesh, great guy, highly recommend you get in touch with him. Him and his team will give you, you know, their assessment of what they think you could get based on your skills, your experience. So he's given his contact details before. Reach out to him, uh, Delta Group. Search for them on Google and you'll find them. Speak to other recruiters if there's others you, you like to work with or others that you've got experience of in the past. And at this stage, I'd say speak to a number because they'll, they'll give you a broad spectrum. Some recruiters will be fair and will be quite reasonable and will give you an accurate view of the market. Some will give you a overly rosy view of what they could get you in a, as a day rate simply to to get you to work with them and some will give you an overly pessimistic view of day rate so that when they do get a contract it's easier for them to secure you in that role because they've negotiated you down at the start by speaking to a breadth of people you, you'll get the you'll get an idea of where the, the market is and you'll get an idea of that distribution the next thing i do uh, and I did this first, but it's you know equally something you could do after, is actually speak to some contractors. So if you're currently working on a project, go and speak to some of the contractors on that project. And the easiest way that I found to do this is actually, say you're a consultant or senior consultant. So I left consulting at senior consultant. I would speak to contractors who were above my grade. So I would speak to contractors who were senior on a project. So program leads, um, major workstream leads. And the reason I did this is because they're very, just like you are, if you're now, say, 28, 29, 30, very happy to say what you started your career on in terms of salary. You know, everyone's happy to share their graduate salary. They're less happy to share what they're earning now. And it's the same with most people. So if you go up to a contractor who's doing the job you want and say, how much do you earn? It's likely to be a very short and uncomfortable conversation. But if you go up to a senior contractor who is, you know, very senior, earning large day rates, and, you know, you talk to them about, oh, we're, I'm thinking about this, or I'm just interested, you know, what does what does a junior PM earn these days? They'll be more than happy to share because they're sharing advice and it's, it's not them sharing a personal secret or something that's uncomfortable to them. Likewise, if you're on a project and you are running a PMO or you're familiar with PMO, ask them. They have a view of all the contractors' rates. They don't have to give you names of who's earning what, but they'll be able to give you a really good idea of, okay, you want a certain grade type contract role. This is the sort of day rate you should be pitching yourself at. But the key point here is be realistic. You know, Obviously, consultancies charge a higher rate because they add more value in terms of their proposition. But also they've got more overheads. Clients expect all of this. It comes with a lot of security for them. They know what they're buying in. You will not be going out as, as an independent consultant and getting your day rate that you see on a proposal going out to a client. Simple as that. Be realistic. Take what you hear from contractors in the market. Take what you hear from recruiters. Take what you hear from potentially people you've spoken to who are on the client side who might be looking for people like yourself and decide what's right for you and, and pitch yourself there. It's always better to start somewhere in the middle and then climb up. If you pitch yourself too high, most recruiters will put you in the bin. Most clients will just say, no, you're not right. If you pitch yourself too low, everyone will take you, but you're probably not going to be much better off than staying in-house. So just a, a simple one there around day rates. So how do you actually find roles? Well, 
there's, there's three ways here, and I've talked to a couple of them already. So the, the first uh, and the one with the largest view of the industry, if you like, is recruiters. Make contact with recruiters, speak to them about the roles, tell them what you're looking for, and I'll come on to some tips about that shortly. Uh, they will have the, the biggest view of the industry. Now, like I said, I'm not going to repeat what Minesh said. Go and listen to his episode. He covers everything on what you should be thinking about before you engage a recruiter, how to deal with them, how to tell good ones from bad ones. There are a lot of bad ones. There are very few good ones. Your challenge is finding them. And if I'm honest, you'll have to kiss a lot of frogs while you do it. I work closely with, gosh, two recruitment firms and uh, Minesh and Delta Group being one of them. And I'm now following the approach of less, not more because I just find that otherwise you end up with a lot of conversations that add very little benefit to you, and I've seen very little benefit to the recruiter. Rarely do they call you back, or you get the opposite, which is they throw every role at you, regardless of how suitable you are, so that they can lock you in, and it doesn't help you at all. So be very picky on recruiters, but to start with, call as many as you can. They'll give you a good view of the market. You can tell them what you're looking for, what type of roles, what type of clients. Now, it's worth saying here, and again, this is personal experience, and I'll be completely honest, I've never actually got a role through a recruitment company ever in my career. My perception as an independent is that it's much easier for recruiters to place you if you have a specific skill set. So if you have a specific skill around a certain system, so let's say you've done five years of SAP implementation projects, much easier for them to place someone like yourself. Or if you're, as is currently the case, a GDPR expert, you're very placeable. If you've got a broader consulting skill set, which is what I have and what I discussed with Minesh, that becomes a bit more challenging. Now, that's not to say it's impossible for recruiters, and they've definitely placed people in those spaces, but there are just less roles coming to them with that sort of spec, because clients don't always know what they want, so they don't really know how to ask for that. So just bear in mind, if you are like I am more of a, a generalist consultant, you bring your change capability, your skills, but you don't have a specific systems implementation experience, let's say, you may have less success with recruiters, but call them all, see what they see what they say, you never know. The next route is obviously just going direct to your contacts. Um, this has been very fruitful for me and is in terms of getting roles in clients you like with people you like to work with at good day rates is always going to be one of the best ways to do it. You have a relationship already, they trust you, they either have seen your work or know someone who knows you so they're comfortable letting you in. They tend to trust you with a higher quality of work, a more important project. They tend to be more open to negotiation on day rates because they know what they're getting. They are buying a unique product. They're not going into the supermarket, as I like to think about it, and buying cereal off the shelf. You're not a commodity in this instance. You are a unique product. And then you can talk more about your service offering, what you bring to them. And there's a bit more conversation around things like day rate. They're also more open to other less tangible elements that might be important to you. So if you want more flexible working, if you want to get involved in different areas of the project, a direct conversation is always best. And I would really encourage you if you're thinking of going out to be an independent uh, consultant, if you can't in your network, identify, say, five people who you could go and have coffee with to talk about direct roles. Don't even think about going out on your own. Build your network first. There's no point in saying you're going out to be an independent, doing one three-month contract, and then not being able to get any more. Or even worse, getting your first three-month contract and getting stuck 
at a really junior role in a junior grade and just sitting there for the rest of your career. And I'll come on to how to manage your career trajectory as an independent, but you will always find it's easier to get more stretching projects in-house than it is as an independent. And so you need to really think about when you jump, make that jump, why you're making that jump and ensuring you have the network to make that jump. Now, Networks change all the time. People move firms. People go from being consultants to in, in-house in clients. Your network will always evolve and you obviously want to keep in touch with those people. To start with though, if you've not got those five people you can identify and be honest with yourself, it's not the CEO that you added on LinkedIn but you've never met. Five people you could genuinely message who would meet you for coffee who might be able to help you. Don't even think about this yet. Build that network. And now the last, the last route is associate relationships. So most consultancies, big and small, will use associates. And they can use these for a number of reasons. It could be because they don't have enough people at the time. It could be because they need a specific skill set. They need a specific location. All manner of reasons. And just for those of you who don't know what an associate relationship is, it is working as an independent consultant under the badge of a consultancy. So they will bring you in as an independent and you will do everything you do, but you will do it under their badge. So you might be working with a project team. You might be working on your own. There's a whole manner of different ways this will work. But a lot of consultancies do this. And like I say, that can range from startups. And startups really do like this because it's a low-risk resourcing model for them, right up to the big four. From personal experience of having been an associate, some great benefits of it. You get to work on interesting projects. You are working with consultants. So if that is a draw to you, if you want to work with like-minded people, they are great projects to do. The rates tend to be much better because you're having a conversation as a percentage of a consulting day rate. You're not having a conversation as a price on a project budget as you do with a direct client. So tend to be much better day rates. The quid pro quo is it tends to be harder work because it can be short, sharp projects, three months in, out, deliver something. The contracts can be shorter because, again, if you're working for a consultancy where they tend to do shorter projects, let's say it's a three-month operating model design, you're only going to be on a three-month contract and it's unlikely to extend. The last one is obviously you have to, while on client site, present as the as the consultancy. So if you're trying to build longevity with a particular client and build your reputation and your brand, that's much, much harder to do as an associate. But as I say, it's a very good route. I'd always encourage you to build relationships with firms that you know who would be open to associates. The challenge you find getting into associates is it's very much on a relationship basis. These consultancies, rightly so, have to protect their reputation. They'll only work with people they know and trust. And so you need to make sure that you know people who will trust you in these consultancies. Some will accept cold applications, but very, very few. So build your network. It's a long burn. It's a long play, this one, but it's one that's very useful. And if you've got a good network of consultancies who will let you do associate work and work with you through that, it can be a very lucrative way to do independent consulting. And you get the flexibility. So if, for instance, the reason that you want to move is because of travel, it was a big issue for me. I know it's a big issue for a number of people. You have the choice to say yes or no to projects. So an associate role might come up five, you know, five hours away that you need to stay overnight you can turn it down. A role may come up round the corner, let you walk in. You can say yes to that. As I say, some options there. Those are the three key routes in, and those are the three key routes in, in order of ease of access and volume of roles. So recruiters easiest to access have the most roles. Direct tends to be next easiest and have the next most roles. And associates, well, 
Associate relationships are the hardest to break into, but obviously once you're in with a number of consultancies, the the roles will flow because that's how consultancy business works. So we've covered a a few bits there. So we've covered some of the myths that hold a lot of people back. We've covered the day rate question and how you can calculate that. We've covered finding roles and just a, a few top tips really from me, my experience, and what I've learned over the last two years of doing this. So the first one, and this really applies to any type of role you're going for, but was the biggest learning curve for me is an independent CV if you're having to position a CV into a recruitment firm or to a business is very different from say the consulting CV or the generalist CV you're used to most recruitment firms will receive hundreds and thousands of CVs over a week or over a month and they're looking for very specific keywords so what you want to do is take your CV and firstly every role will pretty much either be a PM role or a BA role. To be honest, it doesn't matter how how you may have spoken about it in consulting. I very rarely ever did BA, pure play BA roles in consulting. But from a CV perspective and experience perspective, a lot of recruiters, and these are usually the lower quality ones, struggle to understand the difference between BA and PM. Likewise, clients don't always understand the difference. They like to know, I've got a BA, I've got a PM, and you're up against people who may have been a BA for 20 years. They may have been a PM for 20 years. So you need to position your CV so it's quite clear what's PM work, what's BA work. If there's other types of work, testing, dev, whatever, make sure that the roles are very clear, simply labeled. You're a development lead, you're a testing lead, you're a BA, you're a program manager. This will help people when they're reviewing your CV at both a recruiter and a client level. Likewise, talk about the experience that you want to get your next role in, not just about what you've done. So Recruiters are always looking to help get you into the role that you're a good fit for because their clients are asking for certain skills. They will review you against those skills. If you don't make it easy for them to find those skills, they're not going to. They've got too many CVs to look through. So if you want to be positioned, let's just take let's take me. I, I'm a business change expert. I focus a lot on lean process improvement, but I've done a number of IT projects. If I was to show you my CV, it focuses heavily on the business change and lean elements, and much less on the IT elements, for the simple reason that my experience that I want to take out, I want to sell in the market, and I want clients to buy, is my business change experience, is my lean experience. I couple that in my CV with being very clear with every uh, recruitment company that I speak with that I have done IT, I know enough about it to work in a project, but that's not where I want to go for my next role. I want to be in the business change, lean improvement space. So just a tip there. And that also helps if you are trying to shape your career in a certain way. You know, if you want to go down a specific industry stream or a specific project area, make sure your CV talks to that. Now, one thing worth highlighting here, just like the networking point, if you've got no experience in an area, it is very difficult to break in. Now, again, Minesh gave some great advice on this, you know, invest in training courses potentially around the area you want to get into. But the easiest way to do it would be do a project in that area. So if there's a certain area of consulting you really like, try and do a project in that internally before you become an independent consultant. Because clients in the independent side, are hiring experience. They're not just hiring brain power and brand. In-house consulting, of course, they're, they're hiring experience, but they're usually more willing to take a team where you have, say, one or two experts and a number of generalists because they know they're getting the quality assurance from the senior guys to look after the junior guys. On the independent side, they expect you to have that knowledge so you can hit the ground running. So like I say, if you've got the experience, put it up in lights, signpost it. If you've not got the experience, get it before you move out. 
I've talked about it a number of times, but if you are going out to be an independent consultant, you need to use your network. You need to have a network. If you don't have a network, really consider whether this is the right move for you. Now, I left, as I say, I left, as I've mentioned before, to start a business that didn't work out and then went back into the independent side. I did that at around the senior consultant manager grade. Anything more junior than that, I would say, is potentially quite high risk because of your lack of CV, because of your lack of network. You can obviously do that at the more senior end as well. But really make sure you have a good network of people you can contact. And I I just want to draw the distinction here, not talking about having 10,000 contacts on LinkedIn. I'm talking about having 10 to 50 people you can message or call to meet up with who can help you. Now, they could be recruiters, they could be consultants, they could be former clients, they could be people you know from university, from school, wherever it is. But you want people who may be able to help you. And we're really talking at a decision maker level here. We're not talking, I have 20 friends in banking who were all at university with me, who were all very junior. We're talking, I know the head of change, or I know the program manager, or I know the partner. If you've not got that network, go away and build it. If you have got that network, start to do a bit of thinking on who can you talk to, who might need your help, who could you have a chat with, who might be looking for some support. What other independents do you know? The independent market is very friendly, uh, is very happy to help each other. There are a lot of bad independent consultants. So if people meet or get introduced to a good independent consultant, they will keep them in the back of their mind and you will be, if it's you, the first person they come to. So make sure that your reputation internally is good. Make sure you've got a good network and use and leverage that when you're looking for roles. And in between, you know, speak to people during a project. So if you've got a six month, let's just say you're successful, you go and get a six month um, independent project somewhere, keep your network up to date, keep chatting to them. There's nothing worse. And I've, I've had this happen where than not hearing from someone for three years, and then them dropping you a message where they, you know, they, we've all seen it, they sort of pretend to ask how you're doing and very quickly follow up with an ask of, I want to be introduced to so and so. Now this, this isn't an episode on how to network properly. And um, that is not how you do it. But just think about keeping your network alive, keeping people warm, keeping them, you know, keeping them happy to hear from you. And when you do go out to people, there is nothing wrong with saying, look, I'm coming to the end of my project. Do you know anything? Do you know anything coming up in the market? Just be honest with them. You know, I have some good independent friends who we meet up for coffee maybe every three to six months. We have a chat about what's going on in the market. What roles are we seeing? How can we help each other? And that's really as far as our relationship goes. And it works very well for, for both of us. Be honest about why you're speaking to people and the relationship you have with them. And that will pay dividends in this, in this industry. The next one is actually once you get onto a project. So very often independent roles will be six months long. It's just an industry norm. It doesn't matter if the project's 12, 18, 32 months, they will do a six-month initial um, signing with you. Now, this is primarily to weed out the wheat from the chaff, make sure that you can actually deliver. Um, and if you are good, very often you will be extended on from there. Now, my advice actually once you do land onto a role is like you would in a consulting business, because you are running your own consulting business, get to know the client, get to know their problems, get to know their people, start to network internally, make contacts, make uh, friends with the people in the, in, in the client, help them see some of their challenges, offer, offer to do more than you've just been brought in to do. Like I said, a lot of independent consultants are very poor, and a lot of them will clock in at nine, leave at five, and do very little in between. 
So if you can bring your consulting experience and skills to that client and go that extra mile, you'll instantly be putting yourself above those people. And like I said, with your direct contacts and associate relationships, people always prefer to work with those who they trust and know do a good job. If that's you and you build that relationship with a client, they'll want you to be there as long as you're happy to and they're happy to have you. Doing that makes your life a lot easier because you could be on a specific client for, for 12, 18, 24 months for a number of reasons I'm not going to go into here and I'd consult your accountant on. I would not usually advise going on a specific project more than two years unless it is a very long tail project. If it's project to project, I really wouldn't be looking at more than two years. If it's one long project, that's different. I do know some independents who have been on one client for five years. I would definitely avoid doing that, uh, but speak to your accountant on this. Ask them about IR35. It's the key piece of legislation you need to know about. You need to make sure that you're working outside it as an independent and not an employee. And for me, if you're working on a client for five years, it's very hard to argue that you're an independent and not an employee. But that's a whole nother story. Like I say, though, if you can get a client that trusts you, will work with you for 18 to 24 months, it means that you've got nice security. You can build your skills. You can build your career. And something, as I say, I've been asked is, well, how do you, how do you continue your career trajectory internally? That longevity gives you that option because... People, if they trust you, will very often put you onto more projects and higher profile projects, which could help you then get your next role. It is much easier to climb when you're working with one client in terms of experience than it is to jump experience. Very often, like I said before, people hire for what you've got, not what you could do. So you are going to need to get that experience inside. And I think the last piece on on that, and it's, it's as much a bit of advice as it is just something to think about, is... There is, as Matt Chung, my first guest said, there is a bit of a glass ceiling as an independent consultant. If you are working alone, there's only so many hours in the day, only so many days in the week, and there are only so many roles that people will pay you for. And it's quite easy if you speak to a recruiter to start to work out where that glass ceiling is. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You need to think about your career objectives, what you want to get out of your career. And actually, it might be that being an independent gives you exactly the financial uh, requirements that you need to fulfill the life you want, and it gives you the life flexibility. And I know a lot of people who do it for exactly that reason. It gives them the right amount of income. It gives them the flexibility, like I said, to spend with their family or to go traveling. And believe me, there are some contractors who I know who do exactly that. They'll do six months on a project and they'll go traveling for six months. It's a lifestyle choice. The key thing, though, is if your goal at the moment is to make partner, you will never replicate that level of income as an independent, but equally, you'll never replicate that size business. You know, as as previous guests and guests I'll be sharing with you in the future have said, it being a partner is running your own business. If you've got 30 people in your business, it's very different to just having you. But like I said, that's something just to think about on the long-term career trajectory. From a short-term basis, It's a good place to get experience. It's a good place to get used to actually running your own business from a risk-reward perspective. Just like running a business, if you don't have work, you don't get paid. You need to think about that, and that could be a really good start for someone like you. That is all of the advice that I want to give in this episode. It's a little shorter than some of the other ones, and I'd really be interested to just find out was this useful? Did you enjoy it? If you like this episode and this format, I'm very happy to do more little in-between episodes with just advice, personal experience and guidance that I can give from what I know about the consulting industry and what I've seen. If actually you just want more interviews with leaders in the field, let me know. 
I've got loads of great ones coming up. But if you want something in between, just give me some give me some feedback. And if you've got any questions on the independent side of consulting, anything I've talked about today, if you want just any advice, please do drop me an email. It's nick at climb in consulting. That's climb in, not climbing. Climb in consulting like the podcast.com. Hope that was useful. Uh, really look forward to hearing your feedback and enjoy the rest of your week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.